great experience i should say with uh, clch um and uh, you know they're the ones who gave me the opportunity to work with um uh, nihr arc fellowship program was like a blessing to me because i've learned so much i can talk about so much from that program it's one podcast it's going to be it's 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 not going to cover everything welcome to sounds like improvement a podcast series which aims to spotlight all things change transformation and you guessed it improvement from central london community healthcare nhs trust Today's episode is the second and final episode of this current Sounds Like Improvement series with Ravina Sharma and Carlos Alberge. In our first episode, we heard how NIHR fellow Ravina got started with her QI project with help from her improvement facilitator, Carlos. Today's episode will cover the different stages of her project and give us some thought-provoking examples. about my learnings from the starting with my journey um with this organization and i hr that is national institute of health research so i was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to apply for this fellowship in uh, leadership and improvement uh this was not easy for me because obviously they have limited seats um i guess they have around 12 seats and um i wasn't sure that you know i will be able to crack this and you know get into their research program so i decided to speak to my manager helen uh, who was quite supportive at that time and she she said rena just go for it and we'll see you know how how it goes I said, okay let me try and then uh, obviously i had brilliant person in front of me that was carlis and carlis helped me to understand the questions and how to justify my answers uh, it was a long process of application um they had around i think 10 or 12 questions in the application but they were quite detailed carlis do you remember that day when i was sitting with you discussing about these questions yes but you you knew all the answers already maybe you just needed to uh, organize shuffle the shuffle your thoughts and uh, have a bit of a structure when responding to them Yes I I think this was because I've never applied for something like this Carlis if I correct me if I'm wrong you uh, you have done your masters program with them I have yes mm-hmm. University of West London Yes yes and I think that was very helpful for me to have that kind of experience when I'm writing an application in the end my application got selected and i was invited for the interview and i cracked the interview and i remember it was such a big moment for me because i knew i will be studying about improvement um i have a proper platform other than support from my qi team so it was overwhelming feeling you can say i will be able to work with a big organization other than clch uh, so that gave me a confidence boost Ravina tell us about some of the learnings that you've picked up along this QI journey If I talk about my learnings where do I start it's like it's so many things I've learned from from my fellowship program um one of our session was around process mapping and stakeholder mapping so after attending my fellowship uh, sessions on these topics I was thinking about mapping in a different way and in a more useful way because now my knowledge was increasing in in a, in these aspects um 
like for example, if we talk about stakeholder mapping, right? So after attending the session on stakeholder, as you know, as they they say, we have to think deeper. So I started thinking on a different level. Like for example, if if we just take the stakeholder mapping. I started thinking, what is the motivation for this stakeholder to get involved with my project? What barriers might there be to them engaging or supporting my project? How do they feel about what I'm doing? And my whole aspect changed about the stakeholder mapping and and started to involve um, my stakeholders according to these questions. Um, that was the kind of difference after attending the fellowship program. So uh, it, it was really thinking into the in, into the depth of stakeholder mapping. It's not just you identify your stakeholders and you start engaging them. It's about you know thinking on these terms as well. Ravina, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with project aims and shared aims? I was taught a different technique, which I was, which I found was very useful being involved in a quality improvement research project. And that technique was uh, coming on a shared aim. Everyone decides about aim in a way that, um, okay, this is what I want to achieve. This is my aim. This is the aim of my project, of my research. So you have to speak, go and speak to your colleagues, go and speak to your stakeholders, go and speak to your patients and see what they think. That's when I realized that, okay, it's not what I want to do. It's about what people want, what the service wants, what the patient wants. So coming on, on that shared aim was a very challenging task, I would say. Carlis, what are your thoughts about it? Well, everyone has to be in agreement yeah. as to what we are trying to achieve here, knowing who the stakeholders are, what input we need from them. Discussing that aim is, is a way to engage people. 80% of the success of the project is, is about engaging people. And I think that is uh, one of the things which I noticed during stakeholder mapping was that whosoever you were going to or whosoever I was speaking to, they all had different roles in the system. Whatever my my role would be, my aim would be according to that. For example, when I went to uh, speak to my CBU manager, his main focus was on the length of stay. His main focus was on the delays in discharges. His main focus was on, on the system numbers. So, which I can understand because that's his role. And if you go and speak to a patient, his focus will be totally different. His focus will be towards the health, towards the experience he's having. It was very, that's why I said it was quite challenging because you have to consider everyone's opinion, but you have to come on the shared aim. You have to negotiate somewhere where you can, where you can say, okay, everyone's opinions matter. And this is, this is where we have come together. This is what we want to achieve together. So let's get into it. What is the model for improvement? Improvement in itself has questions uh, which we need to think about when we are starting a QI research. Um, and we we call it as model of improvement or cycle of improvement. Carlos, you will be the best person to talk about a little bit about model of improvement. Well, it has uh, sort of two parts. The first part is understanding the problem um, and planning how will we uh, assess 
our efforts and identifying changes that we can uh, test. Uh, and then obviously the second part is testing those changes. Model of improvement, uh, we ask three questions. What are we trying to accomplish? How will we know that a change is an improvement? What changes can you make that will result in the improvement you seek? So these three questions, that's uh, if you are able to answer when you when you start with model of improvement, it's, it's a process of quality improvement and it has different stages. And the cycle of improvement is a tool which can help us to visualize these stages. Thanks for explaining that, guys. Can you tell us about the different stages along the improvement journey? So one of the stage is uh, the f- uh, first stage, I, w- I should say, is that uh, the patient and the carers experience outcomes. So in this stage, we look at healthcare as a continual process and focus on the ongoing situations in a setting. We consider the patient's experience of healthcare and explore both patient outcomes and how services are delivered. The second stage is where we identify the needs of improvement. As Carlis said, you need to identify these, uh, uh, you know, these aspects where you want to make few changes. So once we have a better understanding of the current situation, what is happening, that is through process mapping, we can identify the area for improvement, such as needs that aren't being met, variations in the care or services and quality issues. We will talk about the next day, that is priorities. So when we have established improvements that could be made, we need to prioritize where we will invest our resources in an improvement project. This decision can be influenced by, you know, the the patients and the population needs economic and clinical considerations, the ability of successfully delivering a project. Coming on the next um, aspect of improvement, that is identifying solutions. So at this stage, we need potential solutions to be implemented and tested to see if they can improve what actually happens. So this stage considers existing knowledge and interventions or creates new interventions and evidence. And the last stage of improvement is the implementing stage. So at this stage, the potential solutions are implemented into practice. Our solutions improve and get closer to achieving our aim each time a modification is made. So changes are made to the solution in response to new and emerging evidence of its effectiveness and to ensure if it is fit for purpose. So that's the last stage when you start implementing everything and see if something is working for you or not. It's a hit and trial method. And that's where your PDS cycles comes in. Uh, that's where you start your testing of whether this something is working for you or not. So these five stages, if you ask me, I wasn't aware of these stages of in terms of improvement. So when I when I was doing one of my session in fellowship, when they introduced these uh, five stages to us, that's the time I realized where which, at which stage I am or which one is the next one I have to look into or I have to focus on. So I would say that study day made me realize that where am I in terms of if I talk about improvement. So this 
of the, the, uh, the whole framework of improvement was quite useful. When you think about those three questions and when you think about these five uh, steps or processes, you, you get that clarity of improvement that what you are trying to do. Uh, does that make sense, Carlis? Yeah, it does make sense. And then uh, I suppose these five stages, they kind of overlap with the model of improvement as well. Um, but what happens very often is that uh, when teams uh, start their improvement projects, they want to skip the investigative part um, and uh, go straight into uh, implementing the solutions they've identified already, which is normal, I guess. That's how we're used to work. We uh, we want to see progress, but it is so important to do yeah. that investigation to understand what we're dealing with, the processes, uh, make sure that everyone, all the stakeholders, all the key stakeholders are um, understand the processes the same way and that we all agree on, on the goal before we can kind of start thinking about solutions and trying yeah. them out. We, we use this model of improvement uh, framework for achieving successful healthcare improvements from translating the evidence-based medicine into practice. So the framework draws together our extensive evaluation of uh, improvement projects and a wealth of literature of evidence translation, implementation, and improvement, which includes three principles which we work on usually, that is acting uh, scientifically and pragmatically, embrace the complexities, and engage and empower. So as as Carly said, a lot of people skip that uh, skip that process of um, you know not embracing those complexities, really looking where 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 things are not going right. What's uh, which which process is it needs to be looked at, or which process needs needs some more amendments or editing. So I think. I enjoyed that process a lot because it opened my eyes in in very different way about the system. It showed me that it's it's not it's not just us um, on the grassroots level working, but it's a wider, it's a bigger problem. So explain to us a bit more about the importance of research papers and how they can relate to QI projects. When you are stating something in, in a QI research, if you are uh, talking about something, it should be backed up with evidence. It should be backed up with the facts. So one of the things which I learned in fellowship was to dig into research and how to dig into research, how to read these research articles, um, and how to improve your knowledge around your topic because topics could be uh, vast and you can just research about anything and you can't find anything. So uh, they basically taught us the technique to using to use your time more in a more productive way. So actually it was like uh, sitting down and reading the right articles. And you won't believe I've all, almost read 450 articles regarding my project. So therefore, that, you know, that's how I, I got my facts right. And um, I went more into depth with my project. And uh, there's a saying that uh, one should be well read because that's how you increase your knowledge and how to read researches, how to interpret 
um, how important uh, it is to research um, that all I've learned from my fellowship. Um, and I think it, it, it has helped me in, in a big way. Carlos, you must have read many research papers. How was your experience? I can imagine quality improvement is, uh, you know, it's a vast topic. It doesn't end. No, it, it, it never ends. It's always developing. There's always something new to learn, which is wonderful. I like that. Well, du during my master's program, um, obviously, I, ha I had to uh, learn a lot about the methodology of quality improvement, the improvement science itself, and how uh, how that scientific approach helps us to uh, deal better with the change and achieve sustained improvements. And obviously, th that involved sort of uh, reading about many uh, different quality improvement projects undertaken and uh, the theories for, for using particular method as well. So uh, would it be uh, uh, how to engage people and uh, how, how important it is to achieve the engagement uh, of, of, of different stakeholders along the process and how different tools can be used to achieve that as well and and how it, how it all kind of comes together in a nice little package um, and understanding sort of correlations between when, uh, different activities that we undertake when we do quality improvement projects. I mean, I, I would like to say quality improvement is easy. Uh, it's easy at the first glance uh, to do it well it's not that easy. It takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, I would agree with that, Carlos. It takes a lot of, um, it takes your time. It is, you have to be very patient and you also have to be ac very accepting um, about your uh, project, about your plans for your project, because that, you know, this is one thing I've learned during, during my journey uh, with with this QI project uh, was that I had to keep a lot of patience because it's not easy to get hold of people. It's not easy to get uh, everyone on the same level. Um, and uh, another thing was, you know, if, if, if you fail, if something is not working, you, ha you, you should be able to accept that failure and move forward with, with your plan B and that is another thing which I have learned from uh, from the research project. Definitely, and and I, I wouldn't call it a failure as such. It, it's a learning process. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, hardly ever we get things right the first time round, which is why in quality improvement we don't attempt huge changes. Uh, we, we, we start small. What's an AED or action effect diagram? Just to uh, just for the people to know, um, action effect diagram. Carlos, do you want to just say a line about it? Well, it, it serves a purpose. It's it's a um, it's it gives us a plan. Mm -hmm. So it helps us to understand the system, how different aspects in the system interact and help us to achieve the outcome. So that, that's that's the principle of it. Uh, you, using it is more difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to explain 
the, the correlations between different, uh, uh, you know, var variables in the system. Uh, also, the challenge is um, remembering to use it because it, it, it is the theory. Uh, the, it, it, it's our theory that we base the project on. And that, 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 that theory is what we test when we, you know, try to implement our, you know, the changes. You just have to kind of be in a mindset to kind of constantly re-evaluate the action effect diagram or the project plan. And that's, that's, that's some, some is a tricky part. I think my understanding about the action rec diagram was that, uh, it's, it's basically, it's a visual diagram of actions you take to see the change. Um, and, uh, that includes the major contributing factors, which leads to the other part that is contributing factors and which will lead to the aim and interventions. So everything is linked together in uh, action effect diagram. So you write about your shared aim. So that's your aim that will lead to the major contributing factors, which will lead to the contributing factors, and that will lead, lead to the, your interventions. So when I was making my AED diagram, I remember my my mentor, he said, uh, Ravina, you can, you can write as many as you want your contributing factors and major contributing factors and your interventions. So it's, it's not something which is, you know, you don't have to limit yourself with this. So you can write as many as you, as you think of and then engage your team in this diagram. And see what they think about. Maybe you, 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 uh, you know, we all have our blind spots. Maybe they, they see something which you don't see. So try and do this as a group activity, which, you know, which was quite interesting with my group, obviously, because they were able to identify different bits, which I wasn't able to identify. So uh, the, the the concept of intervention in this is to basically to to guide the evaluation of the project like like just Carlos said and um when you look at these interventions and when you or when you look at this AED diagram our outcome measure goes as a, as our aim the intervention measure is basically our interventions and our process measures goes as the contributing factors. And this has to be or can be supported with the evidence. So evidence comes from the reviewing of articles and the anecdotal evidence, which is in the hospitals. So that's why that research part was so important, because whatever you are doing in your uh, in your project, in your research project, it has to be backed up with evidence. So whether it, whether it was your aim, whether it was your contributing factors, whether it was your interventions. So that's, that's where I uh, used my experience of reading those articles. Can you give us an example of an AED from your project? Our aim was to improve the quality of rehab for patients with hip fracture. That was our aim. And that was a shared aim. Now, one of the major contributing factors was the time of triage. That is the reference which are coming from acute to us. 
And the contributing factor we identified was that th there was inconsistent information on the reference. Now, when we looked at this, we, we, we had to come on the intervention part. Now, intervention part was basically to improve the quality of referral. So that is a, that is a very vague intervention. We have to get into depth of that intervention. How are we going to improve the quality of referral? So um, one of the interventions we said, OK, meeting with the acute therapist regarding the referrals would be helpful. Attending their uh, MDT for hip fracture patients, the, the hip governance meetings eyeballing the patients uh, with the acute therapist to discuss the goals which patient wants to achieve. So that will reduce the um, uh, the inconsistent information on the referrals and the, the time of triage will be less and the patient will be uh, transferred to our rehab units as soon as possible. So as, as you can say, the, this will directly improve the quality of rehab. For example, reducing the duplication of information. Then we are working collaboratively uh, on patients' goals, which is NHS long-term plan. Thirdly, it's a patient-centered approach. Fourth, you know, we are working on specific goals. Uh, they, the, there is reduced in length of stay for acute as well as for us, and. If, if I talk about the financial bit, um, then there is reduction in cost of beds. So we are basically easing up the pressure from acute. So just with one major contributing factor and looking the looking at the contributing factor and then coming on the intervention part can solve so many issues. Can you explain to us what a PDSA cycle is? PDSA, it's a, it's a, it's a framework for an efficient approach to trial and learning. And um, the cycle begins with the plan and ends with the recommendation for future actions based on the learning that was obtained. And the, and the use of the word study here emphasize um, that the purpose of this phase of the cycle is to build new knowledge. And um, we can have uh, multiple PDSAs um, when, when it, uh, comes to uh, when it comes to a successful change. So um, PDS cycle is basically it's a way of developing our interventions over time. As Carly said, that we have to test it again and again, and uh, testing changes by starting on a small scale, um, and overcoming all your barriers you encounter, and then gradually ramping up to a full scale intervention, which I have learned uh, from from my QI team and from, from my fellowship. So by the time you reach your full-scale implementation, most of the little unforeseen glitches will have been sorted out and you have a better chance of achieving your aim and sustaining this in the in the long term. And when the last the last session I just attended like a few days ago was about sustainability, which which is again uh, quite challenging. Uh, how you can sustain your project as as in in terms of if you think about long term um, uh, effect 
how are you going to keep your legacy going? Uh, Carlos, do you want to talk about sustainability? One way to look at sustainability is uh, so if, if, if the changes are useful, if, if they work if, if if they help us help you know everyone in the process, if it makes the life better, uh, they will be sustained because it's yes. just a better way of doing things. So, uh, doing the PDSA cycle so we can test that theory that we mm-hmm. think might work, and obviously through again engagement of of, of different people involved in the process or delivering that one one aspect of care. So we, we can come to an understanding of, you know, how how the process works, uh, what, what's good about it, what needs to be changed. And, and, and through sort of repeating those cycles and working through the different issues, uh, in theory, uh, uh, we, we achieve the sustainability by making sure that the change we implement is actually improvement. Yeah, I would I would uh, totally agree with that. And um, uh, one of our when I started um, uh, this diagram, action effect diagram, I looked into uh, the PDSA cycles. I was making PDSA cycle. So we were going to test around, um, for example, the example I've just given about the referrals. So we were going to test on uh, how we are uh, meeting um with acute therapists uh, regarding referrals will will move forward. How are we uh, going to involve ourselves in their uh, hip governance meeting and then really eyeballing these patients with acute therapists. So these were my three PDSA cycles I was going to work on um, and see if 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 anything is improving in terms of triaging of these referrals. So the whole process is like experiment. I'm sure uh, if I was with CLCH, uh, I, I would still run the randomized trial controls for the project in long term, if I talk about, and achieved something very useful, obviously, for these patients, but also leaving behind my legacy. And um, I'm sure... Whatever I've done till now, it had a it had an impact on the service, and um, I've started building up my legacy somehow. So one of the things which I've learned from my fellowship, especially in the recent ses- in the recent sessions, was how to write. If I just describe my experience in writing, um, was it, I would say it's not great, um, and. Uh, when I was writing the, the scripts of this uh, podcast, it was quite challenging for me. So uh, when I was attending these uh, writing uh, sessions, basically they talk about how to write write your research papers, uh, what techniques you should be using when you write your research papers. But I use that technique to write this uh, the scripts of these podcasts so that um, I can... I can get all that knowledge, my experience and my knowledge out there to everyone and share my experience with CLCH and uh, NIHR. Um, I remember my mentor in in my fellowship program, he said, uh, Ravina, how long do you think this is this project is going to take? Like your research is going to take? Like what, what's your time time frame? I said, eh, six, seven months. And then he started laughing. <laughs> he said, 
Rita, QI research projects are never ever like that. You have to have at least 18 months, at least 18 to 19 months. Give yourself time, but even if you're giving time to yourself, that does not mean you, you go slow. You still, you, you can finish that project in 10 months. You can finish that project in 12 months, but the, the you know the maximum time uh, which we which we think of is is around 18 months for a QA project to be successful to run successful without any barriers without any complications and so that kind of changed my uh, you know idea of of how how soon or how quickly um this will be on board and this will be up and running it's like a marathon. You just have to keep running, keep achieving, keep running, keep achieving. That's what that's what I felt. But uh, I had a really good um, experience, great experience, I should say, with uh, CLCH. Um, and, uh, you know, they're the ones who gave me the opportunity to work with um, uh, NIHR ARC. Um, for my fellowship program and um, fellowship program was like a blessing to me because I've learned so much. I can talk about so much from that program. It's one podcast. It's going to be, it's, 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 it's not going to cover everything. Carlos, you have been an immense support to me and you have guided me every time I was uh, lost and uh, sometimes I was frustrated. Sometimes I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But you were always there, calm and you know patient, and you always guided me in a right direction. So thank you so much for doing that. I cannot thank you enough, but thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I mean, it, it's been a pleasure working with you, and uh, you you have the passion, and you 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 know you learning along the way, and you're a good good leader for the project. I'm happy to help. I'm hoping that I will be able to take this knowledge forward and move forward with with a new project in my new organization and work collaboratively with them well yes absolutely and uh, I, I look forward to working with you again sometime <laughs> yes if i come back to clch definitely <laughs> oh well you can engage us in in one of your future projects oh can i well, if, if our path cross, so, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, it, was, it was a great experience working with you, Carlos. Thanks, Carlos and Ravina, for what's been truly an informative and fun discussion. If you've missed the first episode in this current series with Carlos and Ravina, don't worry. You can go back and listen to it or any other Sounds Like Improvement series wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Sounds Like Improvement a CLCH QI production.